right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? Jeff, you know, there's the, the little wins in life that, uh, that that count for a lot. And so one of the challenges we've had in our house recently is that the water pressure is really weird. Like if you flush the toilet and have the shower at the same time, that the sh- shower water actually stops while the toilet comes up. So um, it's just been something that's, you know, Katie and I have done a little research into this and you watch a YouTube video and it's like, it, it looks really easy, but then you're kind of like, you're unsure because maybe you're going to ruin your, your interior plumbing. Uh, and I'm not a plumber by trade. And, you know, sometimes we need the, the more uh, plumbers in the area, but today I successfully, at least for now, have fixed the water pressure by draining our well tank you're actually using a bike pump to pump air back into it to get out to the right pressure and then filling it back up. So it's uh, small victories today that, uh, you know, as someone who has no plumbing training, you, you just take heart in because it's, it's um, you know, self-sufficiency in a certain sense. It's it's saving your family money when things are tight. And it's, uh, I, uh, you know, fighting the drag, the fear, the dragons of fear that, it, that maybe you're going to make things worse when it's not that bad. So how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for our uh, our guest today. We've got uh, Eddie Garcia joining the show. Eddie is running for U.S. Senate in uh, the state of Virginia. This is the second time that we're going to have him on the show. Um, are you excited to talk to him, John? I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to hear what he has. How his campaign's been going, some of the things he's been hearing, and uh, some of the issues that he thinks are going to be key in the 2024 election. All right, we have a special guest today, Eddie Garcia, who is running for U.S. Senate in the state of Virginia. Eddie, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, thank you for having me back on the program. Out, uh, excited to be here. Outstanding to see you, sort of face-to-face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. Um, so, you know, first question, how is the campaign going? It feels like you've already been running for like a year, but you got a year to go. How's it going? Well, it has been about a year. I mean, we're coming up on 12 months. Um, I announced last January. So it's been 11 months on the campaign trail. We've, we, it's been exceedingly uh, great. I mean, I get a chance to meet more and more people. The coalition of uh, Garcia Republicans, as I call them, are, is growing and growing. Uh, I've been to 160 different speaking engagements. I've been to over uh, 70 counties and independent cities across Virginia. Uh, the 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 coalition that I'm building is going to be a little bit broader, I think, than than, than people realize. Uh, that are people who are sick and tired of the status quo of politicians run, run, running their lives and ruling over them for 20, 30 years. Uh, and and so my message is resonating really well with them. So we just got to keep up the momentum. Now that the 23 campaigns are over, 2024 is on everybody's mind right after these holidays. And uh, yeah, the, the the presidential ticket will get the will, will get a lot of the the publicity. But uh, trust me when I tell you, there's going to be a lot of interest in Virginia in 2024 when it comes to this U.S. Senate race. And uh, I plan to be front and center in that. What's been your favorite uh, trip so far throughout Virginia? I mean, like I. I like to say I, I know all the corners because I was born in Portsmouth and I went to school in Southwest Virginia and we live in Northern Virginia. But like, what's what's been one of the highlights of your time traveling the state? I got to tell you, my, my highlight so far is probably this past weekend. So this past uh, Saturday, 
uh, down at Jefferson Davis Flea Market in uh, North Chesterfield, so south of Richmond. Uh, there's a, a low-income low income community. They were having a toy giveaway for uh, for low-income families right there, and there was probably three, four hundred families and and kids uh, in line. It was a, it was a it was a community event. I got a chance to shake uh, probably three hundred hands, talk to a lot of little kids uh, and, and their parents just to get to know people, introduce myself. Uh, the, the, the looks of kind of surprise of, of a statewide candidate being in that location at that time, a couple reporters there, a couple Spanish radio there. So I got a chance to, uh, to get my message out to a broader audience, but more than that, I mean, my wife, my children, we all went out there. I had some campaign folks, uh, with me also, uh, but it, it just to be a part of the community, uh, seeing kids, seeing families come together, seeing uh, community organizers, uh, helping those who who need help, especially during these holiday seasons. Uh, it, it was an outpouring of goodwill and support. Um, and then fr from a campaign perspective, I got a chance to meet a lot of people and uh, hopefully bring in a lot of new voters uh, to the Republican primary, because that's what we're going to need uh, in order to win a primary and then carry them people over uh, into the general election come November. Now, there Oh, are there certain things you hear like on the campaign trail? Like what's specifically on, on Virginians mind? Like, you know, that's easy to think, well, uh, there's all sorts of national issues that are up, up, but like what specifically do you find are people are hurting or things could be better that you could help them with? Well, I would tell you that that kind of varies depending on the region of Virginia. And you, you guys know y'all are here in the Commonwealth. So, I mean, the culture of Nova is different than the Shenandoah Valley. It's different from the Southwest, different from Southside, Richmond, or Hampton Roads, right? They all got their uh, their own culture and the things that they care about. And I would tell you that when you get out of the cities and in the Northern Virginian area, a lot of a lot of it becomes about uh, e economics, right? People are living uh, check to check, hand to mouth. Uh, and and the the margins within the household income are getting slimmer and slimmer. And so, like right before Thanksgiving, for instance, I was down in Nelson County um, at St. Mary's Catholic Church. Right next to it, there's a Nelson County food pantry. And uh, we were out there again doing community service. I wasn't even campaigning, didn't say anything about the campaign. I was just trying to help a buddy and help a community. Uh, we served. Uh, we put together over 800 food boxes in preparation for Thanksgiving. And I asked the lady, I said, how many are we doing? She said, we're going to serve over 800 families. And I said, well, Nelson County doesn't have that many people. Um, is that normal? And she said, we've never served over 400 families. And this is double that. And I, and I said, well, well, give me some demographics on who, who are the people that were, that were helping out here uh, that are going to come through for Thanksgiving. She said 90% of them are, are white. 90% of them are over the age of 65. These aren't people who don't want to work. These aren't people who are living with their parents. These aren't people who are trying to get over the system. These are seniors that are living on fixed incomes, that whose whose um, taxes keep rising, whose cost of living keeps rising, and it's getting harder and harder for them to make ends meet and to to even have a a decent Thanksgiving meal. And so when you get away from the population centers, and it can be tough in Northern Virginia because everybody seems like they have so much. But when you start getting down 81 and 95 and you start heading south, you run into a, a lot of people who are, who are struggling uh, to, to, to pay the bills, to put food on the table and to provide. And that's where uh, the frustration, I think, comes from. We, when we look at D.C., we have a D.C. And, a, and, and, a, and two political establishments, both the Democrats and Republicans, that love to raise money off a lot of the culture stuff. 
um, that, that that's going on. And th those are issues too. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody has to eat. Everybody has to provide. Everybody wants a good job. Everybody wants uh, uh, schools where their kids are actually learning and not being uh, indoctrinated or politicized in any way. And and we got to start fixing some of these problems that DC's caused over the last 30 years. Uh, that's the overwhelming um, sentiment that I get is people are frustrated with this political class who seems uh, to never solve anything, but you just, it, but only if, if you can give five more dollars uh, <laughs> to this, to this uh, antidote page or to this uh, organization, then we'll be able to defeat the other side. Uh, that's getting long on the tooth and people are very upset about it. Uh, and, and so there's a, I think there's a big anti-establishment, anti-Washington sentiment out there, um, and and rightfully so. And so I, I'm I'm talking about a, a coalition of working people. I, I say, you know, I'm working for working people. I'm a, I'm the son of a ranch hand myself. I served this nation for 22 years, and I tell my story, and people resonate with that story because it's something that they feel. And 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 if they've been in my position, um, that then they know the struggle it, it takes to to get out of it. And if you're still in the position like I grew up in uh, off of uh, public assistance and public housing on food stamps and uh, the SNAP program at school, getting two free meals a day, if that's how you're feeding your kids today, um, you know that when you're voting for me, that I have that understanding, I have that sympathy and compassion for, for them. And I'm not going to try to take those things, those necessities away from people. And I try to get that message out so they know where I'm coming from and where I'm trying to lead them. So. That's a great story. And, and and I love the fact that, you know, you were just kind of there and then you learned the story. It's not like you were there to campaign. You were just there as a just as a person. Right. Um, but you learned something very valuable that day. That is like something that I, I tell people that live around me. I was like, we live in a bubble. The economy doesn't function the same way here as it does everywhere else we are very blessed to to you know in a, in a large degree because whatever issues are going on in in the rest of the america they typically don't hurt northern virginians nearly as much because of dc and the power structure and all that stuff um so you're outside of dc you learn about kind of the the struggles of of rural virginia what do you do as you're now you're elected senator right now you're in office what is that information going to inspire you to do legislatively to maybe not like give those people what they need, but to create an economy where they don't need the government to give them a handout? Well, yeah, well, one, we got to reprioritize all this money that we spend. I mean, uh, the, the, the debt is not getting any any lighter on, on us now, and it's not going to be any lighter on, our, on, our, on the future generations of Americans. So we have to we got to get our budget under control. And to do that, we need jobs. If you care about uh, getting the deficits down, you're gonna have you're gonna have to need uh, people to be in the work in the workforce, not living off of government assistance. If you care about uh, social security, you're gonna need people in the workforce putting into social security. If you care about mental health and and opioid abuse and suicides amongst young people and old people, by the way, uh, then you're gonna care about jobs and opportunity. You got to give them a reason to get up. You got to make sure that they're secure. That they feel secure. Uh, whether they're coming up out of college, that they can get a job in this market, or if they're 65, 75, 85, and they're not going to be alone and destitute in some nursing home, because that, that's the biggest uh, the biggest demographic of suicides this past year is, is uh, adults over the age of 75, believe it or not. Wow. Um, and and that, that, plays a, that plays into the same story I just told you, is that uh, it's getting harder and harder on seniors. And so the way I see it from a legislative perspective is, is we got to reprioritize. Um, I got an all-American agenda. I call it the all-American agenda because I think that's where we need to be focused on, all of Americans. Uh, we, we, uh, D.C. works great 
if you're a, a Ukrainian oligarch, if you're a if you're a, a Middle Eastern sultan or prince or or, or, or king or whoever, the Americans the, the the government works great. But if you but if you live in Salem or Roanoke or Lee County, Virginia, if you're down there in Abdingen, if you're in uh, Southside, if you're on Hampton Roads, uh, it, this government doesn't work for you at all. Nobody's thinking about you. Nobody's prioritizing you. Uh, they're spending your money and they're not even spending it on you. They're spending it overseas. They're spending it everywhere else except for, to the places that you need it. They're not going into your schools. It's not going into your community. They're not building, uh, they're, they're, they're not encouraging or incentivizing uh, jobs and manufacturing in your area. It's, it, it's all everywhere else. And so we, we got to reprioritize uh, you know, wh where we spend our money and start focusing on, on rural, well, in my case, rural Virginia, but rural America, small towns, uh, rural areas. We got to give jobs back. And one of the one of the initiatives that I talk about is a national energy program. We need a national nuclear energy program that connects all 48 lower states uh, to a nuclear energy grid that's hardened, that's secure, that's new, uh, that can lower the cost of energy, that saves people money, that gets us out of out of the Middle Eastern conflict over oil. It takes us off of uh, Chinese minerals and, the, and these dang EV uh, you know, initiatives that are going on, it puts millions of people back to the work for the next 30 years. It's going to take 30 years to build something like that, but it's a new highway system for energy, but it's gonna, but we can put people to work for the next 30 years. It's going to take that time because it's been degraded. Our economy, our businesses have been offshore and outsourced for 30 years. So in order to reverse what, they, what DC has done to us, we're going to have to invest, but invest here. We've we've done the exact wrong thing. We've spent money and we didn't even solve any problems. We just spent it. We just blew it. It's like we went out and got drunk and blew all the money, and then we still have to pay the bills in the morning because we hadn't we we didn't do any of that. And so we need to we need we need to fix our immigration system. We need to fix our energy grid. We need to fix some of our transportation. We got uh, we got lead pipes uh, in 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 all of the major cities all around the United States right now that uh, we can't clean up. I mean, these are problems that DC caused and refuses to fix. But at the, instead of drawing attention to those things, they want you outraged over over books and libraries. They want you outraged about what's going on uh, across the ocean, and, and that's where they're putting their time to deflect from the real problems that people face. And so we we need a government that that's that's working for all Americans. So yeah, I um I like I like the idea of or just the focus on jobs, right? Um, we have a massive debt problem. Um, we we can't just rate continue to raise taxes, but reality is we need to continue to raise tax revenue, right? What's the best way to raise tax revenue without raising taxes is to have an economy that's a, has a robust job market, new job market, right? And uh, I love I'm I'm big nuclear fan. I think I posted an article in our uh, in John and I's leadership Madisonia leadership group recently about um, nuclear fission and the um, they've been able to ignite multiple times now, which leads them to believe that they can actually have this nuclear fission technology. Um, and nuclear energy is something that we have just ignored. John and I had uh, James uh, Pethokoukis on the show who wrote The Conservative Futurist, and he talks about how nuclear energy was moving forward, and then we kind of got a little down on it because of these other issues that we had, you know, the mistakes, and we just kind of got away. Um, and But that's the cost of you know, I hate to say this, the cost of progress is you, you're, as our friend yesterday on the podcast said, in America, you have the freedom to fail and keep going. And I think that that's so important in this, 
you know, that it's so important in America's story. It's what's made us so great is that freedom to fail, that freedom to try and to continue trying. And I think that nuclear, I love your idea. We need a robust nuclear energy uh, grid system in the United States so we can get off of, you know, this helps us with, you know, foreign policy. It helps us with the economy. It creates jobs. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Obviously, there's a lot to that in in writing legislation and and getting people on board with it. But I, I like the I like I like the new idea as as opposed to just the same old same old. John, what what are your thoughts? No, I, I think that's good. I mean, um, the struggle, of course, is with Virginia. You've got the rural areas and you've got kind of the urban areas. And you were talking about Richmond. I mean, Northern Virginia, Hampton Roads. Those are all very different than. Southwest Virginia, so it's it's tough to kind of balance that. But I think the idea of trying to find opportunities for people is is key, and if that can be in both the rural and the urban areas. So I I, I do like that you're kind of trying to focus on that, um, bring those jobs to those people. Yeah, well, the for the nuclear piece specifically, I think Virginia is uniquely positioned. I mean, we have six six different universities that have uh, advanced degrees in nuclear technology. Uh, we have uh, we have two plants already here. I mean, we we can we can lead in that. We can lead in this area. It's not it's not it's great for the country, absolutely. And and as a U.S. senator, you are obviously looking out for what's best for the country. But we can be that entry point. We're going to need this new highway system. And and guess what? It's going to take. It's going to take. Uh, it's going to take builders. It's going to take uh, construction workers. It's going to take pipe fitters. It's going to take manufacturers. It's going to take steel. It's going to take all of these things. And and then once it's all built, they're going to need to be repaired. They're going to need to be maintained. There need to be cybersecurity experts, right? This is the workforce of the future. It, it it's disappointing that no one else talks about these things, um, and and which is why I'm trying to bring them to life. I mean, we we could always argue about the uh, about the culture wars, but at the end of the day, we need we need be able to, to, to feed our people. We need to be able to employ our people. We need an education system that feeds into that system uh, so that we can prosper. We can't be strong internationally if we're not strong domestically. And we're not going to be strong domestically when we have a when we have a, a larger and larger swath of the population uh, that is growing more and more anxious over their economic situation. Uh, that, that just breeds instability and eventually violence. And, and we don't want that. And so we, we got to reverse it. You got to have someone who's, who's dedicated to solve problems. I'm dedicated to solving problems. Speak. People tend to talk about those jobs, but they always seem to have like a the the suffix uh, union or prefix union jobs. Like you know, people talk about pipe fitters, but it's got to be like especially the the Build Back Better was all about. These have to go to union contracts, and I, <clears throat> in Virginia, there's a big push to sort of unionize everything. And I think like that's kind of the only time anyone talks about. That. And really, that's not about the people that those jobs are for. That's about paying off the uh, the union support for a particular campaign. I'm, I'm you know, if it's a teacher's union and stuff, it's because the teacher's union got you elected and you got to do what they say, even if it's not better for the students or not even better for the teachers as a whole, but because the, the unions demand fealty uh, and they, you know, they put you in office, you kind of feel this, this pressure on that. But like, you know, like there's the, there was the big infrastructure project uh, bill two years ago, I believe. And, um, you know, there was again, like just push, like, this isn't just about building, but it's got to go to these union jobs because that helps our constituency. It's not about the people they serve. It's about whatever special interest is going to help someone continue to stay in power. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one of the biggest problems we have is we have a, a special interest cabal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they, they're 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 all over the place in and around D.C. 
uh, and everybody's got their hands in the pie. It's why we. It's why everything uh, that the government does is. It, it's always been high. It's exponentially high right now. Just a few years ago, you could get a mile of an extra lane built down on 81 for about a million dollars a mile. Right now, it, it's 35 million dollars a mile. If you want an extra lane for a mile down 81, you're gonna. It's gonna run you about 35 million dollars. That's out. That, that's ridiculously high. But that's just where we've gotten, and it's because of bad policies. It's because of grift. It's because everybody in between the dollars at the top and the worker down at the bottom uh, is getting their cut, and and it's and nobody's paying attention. It's government run them up. It, it's mismanaged uh, from the very top all the way down to the bottom. And you look at any industry, whether we're, we're talking jobs and construction right now, but you can look at the education system. You can look at almost any other uh, transportation. Almost any other uh, uh, system of our government, and you'll see the same thing. It, it's drastically uh, inefficient. So, you uh, you mentioned a couple things there about like Congress or the government's failure to solve our problems over and over again, and just big problems that we're facing today. I think one of those is you know the, is encapsulated at the border, right? The the immigration policy or the failure of immigration policy may be one of the biggest stories of the last like 30 years because i feel like through my entire life now i've been flipping on the news to hear some discussion about an immigration bill but nothing really ever gets done and now man every day when i turn on certain news shows uh you see lots and lots of people trying to get into this country and look I don't fault people for wanting to get into the country, right? I would want to be here too, but our country should have some sort of a system to, you know, keep bad people out, allow people good people in without having this, you know, assault where it's just people are just coming in droves. What 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 are your thoughts on that? What what would Senator Eddie Garcia say about that? Yeah, it it to me it's it's honestly that simple, uh, Jeff. And I've I've made I've said that exact same uh, the two lines there on the campaign trail. We need it. We need an immigration system that uh, allows in the people we want to be here and keeps out the people we don't want to be here. I mean that that's uh it, it doesn't get any more simpler than that. But uh, again, nothing waters the mouth of uh, political fundraisers than a caravan marching their way up from Latin America into close to our border because, uh, you know, the, the Republican fundraisers uh, just love it. They love to see it coming so they can they can send out to all their donors, chip in and 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 help us close this border because we got an invasion going on. And then as soon as they do that, the Democrat fundraisers, they get there, they start to lick their chops and they say, look at these racist Republicans. Look what they're trying to do. Help us send more money so we can help fight them. And we do that for about three weeks. Uh, and then six months goes by and another caravan starts to come. None, none of it ever gets solved. All we do is is yell at each other. And so, yeah, we, we, to, to your point about uh, a, a, a workable system, we need a workable system. We need to shut down uh, the, the areas that are most trafficked by by drug dealers and, and human traffickers. We got to funnel people into uh, major ports of entry. And then we need a processing si system that can process people who, who want to be here. The, the, the reason uh, right now that is so unmanageable is because we don't have a system that just lets that, that allows people to come in here and apply for work. 
the vast majority of these people that are seeking asylum, their their asylums are, are eventually being denied because they're not really seeking asylum. What they're seeking is economic opportunity. But we've told them in the past that just because you want a job or just because you want to work here isn't good enough uh, to, to, to come into the country. And so they finagled the, the system. So it said, well, I'm, I'm seeking asylum. And then we have organizations that are telling these immigrants or the, these, the, these folks on these caravans to, to say these words so that they'll be let into the country for X amount of time while their process is being adjudicated. Meanwhile, uh, it, that, that process is taking years. Meanwhile, those 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 individuals find it harder and harder to work because not all of them are able to work when they're here, uh, and then they're gone by the time the decision has come down, and so you got to go find them. Uh, it, it's just a terrible system. It's, it's an unworkable system. We we need to revamp our immigration. We need to make it easy for people. We got six million unfilled jobs right now. We got six million unfilled jobs right now, and we have people who want to work. They're, we need them to work. We don't know who who's good, who's bad, who's not, because we don't have a system to process really the, the those people. And and now we don't even know who's really looking for work because everybody's just claiming asylum. It's a big mess. And and what you're seeing on TV and why it's being covered is because one election season's coming, so they need the outrage. Uh, but but two, it's just because of a failure of a D, a, a DC class for 30 years. Ronald Reagan talked about fixing the immigration system back in 1986. Uh, we're still we're still looking at it. Nothing's happened. So uh, it, it, it's only gotten worse. So how do you reconcile between uh, you were talking about like the need to get like jobs in the Southwest Virginia area for people that live there right now, and then the idea that again, like you mentioned, there are six million unfilled jobs, and there are people that want to come to the country, um, and not really to put you in the spotlight, but I, this is kind of one of those challenges. Like we have jobs, we've got people here that potentially could work, we have people that want to come here that could work. Like how do you reconcile those two competing interests? Because that seems to be the, a lot of the tension in immigration. And, I'm I'm on the same vein vein as of you is like, you know, if people want to come here and we've got jobs for them, we should definitely let them in, make sure they pay their taxes, make sure they go through the appropriate protocols. Obviously, those protocols are broken, so we have to fix them. But like, how do you balance the ultimately like trying to help someone in Southwest Virginia that needs a job, and then how do you help uh, you know people that want to come to the country? I Eddie, I have an answer as a small business owner how how those two things go hand in hand. You you're okay. welcome to answer it first, but as a small go, business go owner, ahead. so go ahead because right. as 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 somebody who's running for office, I I want to hear from small business owners. So so, so please. Small businesses need employees in the marketplace so they can be more competitive and they can grow. As a small business grows, they're able to add jobs to the market, but they need you need people, you need money. The old phrase is you need money to make money. You need people to make more people, to make more jobs, right? And so it it and the other thing that it does is it creates a more competitive labor market. Um right now you've got a system where it's just been inflation it's uh, you know the inflation on the on labor is really high because there's a limited amount of people that are in the market that work legally and if you simply added more competition you would incentivize those already in the market to work harder per se for you know to get increased wages as opposed to right now it's because it's limited people big businesses will just pay more for the good employees, you put all the other employees out to the small businesses, and we're left to compete over essentially, you know, what whatever is is left in the market. So again, bringing more people in creates more jobs, a more competitive marketplace, and therefore, you you kind of square those two corners. 
Yeah, and and it, it it's a it's a tricky dance. Uh, to I think to what you're what you're getting at, John. And so if we're talking Virginia, for instance, um, we we gotta we gotta incentivize jobs through uh, public private partnerships in in areas that are not Northern Virginia or Richmond. I mean, everybody can't live. Everybody in Virginia can't live in Northern Virginia. Uh, but right now, if you're if you're a, an 18 year old, you know, male female graduating high school, uh, and you're looking for a job, or if you're 23 coming out, you know, 22, 23 coming out of college, um, where are you going to end up being? Or are you going to look to Abingdon for for uh, employment, for high skilled employment, high wages? Are you going to look at uh, you know Victoria, Virginia? Are you going to look down, or, or are you going to look at Arlington, Fairfax, and Loudon? And right now. Uh, that's where people are looking. So we, we're, we're seeing so much influx into the north, the, these populated areas. It's becoming overcrowded, uh, and, and which means rents are up because we're not built. We're, we're not building uh, enough housing for people. So everything costs more. Um, I talked to a young lady the other day at the Arlington Young Republican Committee. I mean, she's living with seven or six roommates. It's her and six other roommates, um, and she's 23 years old because that's all they can afford. Um, th th that's not a sustainable model. We can't. We we have to incentivize work outside of these population centers so that we can grow businesses. If you look at any one of these small towns, uh, like these old, uh, you know, uh, uh, small areas, uh, uh, courthouse squares, downtown areas, and a lot of these small towns, you know, 50, 60 percent of them are still closed. They're they're boarded up. You look, you you pick and in, peek inside a. A, a closed sore and you see the the ceilings and as you know uh, uh roofing falling in uh they, they've been hollowed out because they've been like that for a decade uh we got to start to reverse that i mean if because those are the same towns where you see in rampant poverty you're seeing uh increased opioid abuse and, and fentanyl and overdose deaths and and the crime is high i mean these are these are areas that used to thrive and they've been hollowed out uh we, we got to reverse that that, that, that tide um, it's going to take government involvement, but it's got to take smart involvement and, and in conjunction with business owners that know the need and that have an idea of how to prosper and, and whatever their specific field is. I think, and to, and to the, I'm, I'm not running for a state office, but to give credit where credit is due, I think Governor Youngkin is trying to do that. He's, he's created a, he's created a, 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 a couple of new initiatives down in Petersburg area. Historically, P Petersburg had been struggling economically. And so he, it, it's a process. But we need to enhance that process. We we got to encourage people outside of these population centers uh, that that they're going to be able to live a decent life and provide for their families without having to move to the hustle and bustle of Virginia. Oh, oh, Northern Virginia. By the way, if you if if you aren't making one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars a year, because that's the break even in in Arlington, Fairfax, and Loudon, uh, according to the EPI dot org, so. If you're not making one hundred and fourteen thousand, which is the break even, uh, you, you're you're underneath that, and chances are you're not even living in here. Even if you work here, you're you're having to live you know an hour away, hour and a half away, depending on the traffic. Y'all know how that is, right? So that's gas, that's time, that's quality of living, that's lack of parents in the household with kids. I mean, that the ripple effects of that are are enormous, and we we some of those things can't even be measured. Um, it, just when you look over you know a span of 10 or 20 years you know socially what's what's happened and so if, if we if we are going to build this uh rebuild this economy uh from the ground up and outside and, and push the, the 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 opportunity outside of these population centers um we're, we're going to have to have a strategic approach with people who are serious about doing it um that's just how i see it 
uh, I, you know, as far as you mentioned um, unions and labor unions, I mean, yeah, part of that pushback and why that's such a such a hot topic these days is because we've had uh, another three decades of of workers' wages uh, being reduced or stagnated. Uh, we, we've seen these corporations turn international corporations and ship their jobs elsewhere, uh, and it's it's left a hole. And and so people are looking for for ways to fight back and. They, some of them see unions as, as that way to fight back or, or to give them more power. And if it's a private, privately held industry and they want to unionize, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. You know, I think competition is good, even within the same company. Um, we get into public sector unions. That's a little bit different story. Um, could you could, could you have a, a system that um, where you could have multiple unions in the same corporation? I mean, we kind of already have it, don't we? You have it with different classes. Like you can, you can have like uh, maybe like <clears throat> the drivers might be unionized and the yeah machinists they could be unionized. So you could have different machine, miss different unions of different classes. But generally, it doesn't fall where you got like one machinist unit competing with another. Yeah. So because I was watching, uh, hey Eddie, have you ever seen uh, the Gilded Age on HBO? I haven't. So I love the show because it's it's of the Gilded Age, and that's the er one of the eras I love to study. And uh, there's a character on there who basically is a robber baron, and he's going through like a labor dispute. And his entire strategy is to divide the union by pitting one one group against the other. But the more I thought about it, I was like, in reality, if each union represented itself well enough, then it really wouldn't have this massive. Um, this massive in you know problem with the 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 robber baron if you will it was it's only because they were inactive for so long that they had to join together and form this big group to fight the the capital robber barons if you will if they were you know managing themselves in small groups all along they might not have found themselves in that bind yeah and well i think you're seeing a research the reason you're seeing a resurgence of of unionization uh, to include, you know, companies like Starbucks and whatnot that are that are unionizing locally is because people have have been feeling they've been taken advantage of. Yeah, I mean, uh, for for years. I mean, the, the old mantra was like, well, if you unionize, uh, things are going to be more expensive. Well, things are more expensive uh, already, and, and and so that 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 those old excuses just aren't selling like they used to. Things are expensive. People want uh, they they're willing to work, uh, but nobody wants to work two, three, four jobs just to have what their mom or dad had at, with a high school degree or their grandfather had uh, with a high school degree, or maybe not even that. Um, wages have stagnated for so long. Uh, and people are to, which is maybe Jeff, why you're watching the Gilded Age, right? People have this nostalgia for the, you know, the a, a bygone era where you could make it in America. Right now, it seems like you can't make if you're not a tech tycoon if you're not one of the 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 harvard elite or ivy league educated um you're not going to make it that's that's the feeling and and a lot of people have perpetuated that for 30 years we got to reverse that because i'll tell you what i mean if anybody's needed a an electrician or an hvac uh technician out to their house over the last you know year or two uh you know they're making money yeah we don't have we don't have enough people in that industry well and my so, my brother is uh he runs I won't say the the place but he he works for a company that hires electricians let's put it that way and it, and he tells me all the time you can't find them there are not enough electricians in the marketplace 
And he literally went out and taught himself how to be an electrician because he could never find, you know, even if he hired one, they were off to the next job for the biggest paycheck they could find as quickly as possible. So, I mean, we're not really fulfilling, you know, there's a lot of this focus has been on, you know, tech and making sure coding and all these things for technology jobs coming out of high school. And we've kind of forgotten about the basics. Um, and we we need electric. I mean, what what runs all of those computers? Electricity, right? Like we need electricians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And HVAC, HVAC's got to keep them cold. We, we've, got, we've got all these data centers that are popping up. Uh, yeah, they're 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 filled with air conditioning. That's what they're filled with, right? Those AC mechanics and and maintainers. Uh, they're going to be employed because of that. If 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 you have them. And I talk to business owners all the time. They tell me the same thing. I got a, I talked to an HVAC guy in Harrisonburg. He said, yeah, I could have 20 other people and I would still have a waiting list. That's how, that's how big the demand is. I just don't have enough workers. Um, and so th th that's a problem. And so to get back to solving some of these problems or, or some of my, my campaign points is like, look, we need a government that works for all of us. You need somebody who's serious about good governance. Uh, the Republican party is, a, a, is full of people that want to talk about no government. Uh, um, and and how government can't do anything and all this stuff. I, I, I agree. It does a lot of things wrong, but it, we do need it to do a few of those things right. Uh, one of those is borders. One of those is, is setting fair policy uh, economically. One of those is to to, to spur and encourage the, the, the right type of education that provides the workforce that we need. Uh, we, we need to encourage blue collar jobs and, and workers. That starts with leadership. We need to make the American dream more affordable and attainable. Uh, that means we got to get the, these, the, increase the, the, the capacity of housing, we got to decrease the cost of rents. We got to get this economy under control. These interest rates are super high. We got young people living with their parents, and 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 a Republican party doesn't want to talk to them. They instead wants to point point fingers at them and laugh at them. Uh, meanwhile, we don't say anything about these predatory practices of these upper level Ivy League universities that are overcharging these kids with false promises, and then they get out, and and and, and reality hits them in the face. And the Republican Party historically has just laughed at him and said, well, it's your fault. And then and then wonder why we don't get those people to vote for the Republican Party. You wonder why these universities down in in in, in Blacksburg or in William and Mary and down in, in Williamsburg turn out these provisional ballots on the same day, same day registration, everything legal, but then turn out all the way for the Democrat. Well, you you, you don't have a policy for them. You don't have you don't even listen to them. Uh, so my campaign is focused on bringing in new voters that we're going to need to win. Young people is a part of that. Uh, the, the, the working class uh, of all backgrounds, of all shades, of all of all sizes, of all ethnicities, of all races. Uh, these are the people that need a voice. And I'm trying to give them uh, an option to vote for somebody who's come from where they've come from, uh, that understands the, the, the things that they're going through now and actually wants to solve them. That gives them a voice, not just rhetorically, but also gets into, into office and pushes policies that help working people. And it helped grow this economy back to where we can sustain ourselves. John, I left it open for you. Oh, sorry. Um, no, I appreciate the, the uh, shout out to Blacksburg. Uh, that's where I, I went to undergrad and uh, I, I like it there so much. Um, I would tell you, there, there were some good candidates down there. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's why I bring it up because again, I, I've, I've been to 70 different counties and uh, there were some local school boards and and uh, delegate races that were taking place down there in the Montgomery County. Uh, Republicans were winning until provisional ballots got counted, same day voting, coming out of uh, the university, and they sw it swung the election. It almost did the same thing 
in 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 uh, Williamsburg out there, William and Mary, same deal. A large number of young people exercising their constitutional right to 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 vote for who they want to, uh, and they did, and they're voting for the other side. And if we're going to be a Republican Party that's going to be that's going to uh, win in the future, have power in the future, be able to do anything, we have to win elections. And without that, we're just talking to talk. We might as well be screaming at the TV and shaking our fist. Uh, we got to win. The Republican Party is talking for profit. They are raising money. That's why they're talking. No, well, I, won't argue, I won't argue with that. I, I think the, the you're talking about the need to bring people along. And I, I do. I mean, I'm thinking back to you just sorry, I was just lost in this. You're talking about Blacksburg and, and young students. I remember my undergrad days and like sitting in the, like Loudoun, the uh, not Loudoun County, the uh, Montgomery County Republican Committee meetings and the, the young Republicans groups, uh, college Republican groups. Um, and like, you know, I feel like there was an effort to kind of do some kind of outreach, but really that was student led. And we had like a, a debate at one point about healthcare, And honestly, I feel like we're rehashing the same arguments now as we were then about um, payers and stuff like, you know, not a lot's changed. Um, but I, I do think um, I do agree with you. The fact that like there's so much of what what there's a kind of like what a party believes in one sense, and then kind of an inability to maybe take people at their word when they say that that they might agree with you on some issues. And for me, the the, the parties tend to be so doctrinaire, and they tend to be so um, one side. Like you got to agree to every single checkpoint, and if you don't, we have no um space for you in this party and and at the same time they say oh we want to be a big tent and gosh darn it why don't people come to our meetings and gosh darn it why don't we get more voters and i think like there's an inability to recognize that you can't have both things you can't have people come into your meetings and you say well you have to agree to this this and this and if you don't then we're done with you and at the same time say like hey maybe you agree with a couple issues you should all come and be republicans um and i i appreciate the message you're bringing out there like i think that's so missing of that you do have to reach out to people and you got to find out what's important to them and does it fit within this coalition we're trying to build. Um, and maybe there's no no common ground at all, but I think that's so, that's false. I think that you can always find some kind of common ground, but um, I, I do I do agree with you the fact that party leadership does tend to sort of laugh at it. And, you know, maybe it's not party leadership per se, but it's sort of the tastemakers in a party or something, or, you know, who's ever popular on Twitter says like, oh, can you believe this guy? And then, people who are kind of insecure and don't know say like, yeah, maybe I, I can't believe that guy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then you kind of get the, a pile on effect. And I think that's so much more pertinent now with social media and kind of the, the cable news. Like everyone seems to decry when cable news came around because it used to be a lot more civil then because, you, you know, news was what came in the newspaper or the local uh, daily show, you know, it had an hour every day, but now you got to fill 24 hours. And as you were talking earlier about sort of everyone loves the migrant caravan, it's not because they care about immigration. It's because like that fills 24 hours of cable news one way or the other, depending where you sit on it. And I think that's, that's where we're stuck right now. It's, it's so much of um, entertainment and, and not really trying to, to solve it. And I, you know, I think there's a lot of merit in actually going out and talking to people and helping out at food pantries and trying to figure out what's actually wrong with a particular area and what you might be able to do as, as a candidate and as someone in a leadership elected leadership role. Well, I believe people. I believe people when they talk. I think the average person uh, has got no reason to lie to a complete stranger. Uh, what I don't believe is I don't believe people on TV because they do have an incentive to lie to complete strangers. And so <laughs> when, people tell, when people tell me these are the things that I care about and these are the things that frustrate me today, 
I listen to them. I mean, if I'm selling you, if, if I was selling you a car and you didn't want to buy the car, I wouldn't blame you. I, obviously, I'm blaming me. I'm the one that's supposed to be selling this thing. And if I don't, if I can't do it, if I'm just going to ridicule you for not buying my the car from me, um, you're never gonna you're never gonna come back. I mean, it, it's only in politics where it's a, it's okay to blame the consumer. It's okay to blame and call names to the voter. The voters, I mean, every every the vast majority of people are voting on a few issues that they care about the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and as as, a, as someone who wants to represent them, I have to understand. I have to hear that. I have to understand it, and I have to have a solution for it. And if they're just going to be on the other side, well, that's okay too. Well, I can be civil and say, well, we're just going to agree to disagree on this one. But here's something we might agree on. Um, can you agree that these guys shouldn't be in office for thirty or forty years, ruling over our lives? I thought we were, a, 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 you know, a republic or a democracy, not an oligarchy, not a uh, not a monarchy where these same families rule over us forever and ever. Can you agree on that? Uh, and and you, we can start there. And and if it goes somewhere, you know, prosperous or beneficial, great. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll have a blessed day. And I, I look to see you in the future. Hope hope to earn your support. And yeah. and just keep on going. Um, it, there's too much. There's too much high high rhetoric about the other side, whoever the other side is. Sometimes they're within the party. Sometimes they're the other party. Uh, sometimes they're just random people. Um, we we, we got to return some some sense of civility and normality uh, to some of these issues if we're ever going to solve them. If all we're going to do is yell at each other, we're never going to solve these these major issues that we actually have to solve. We're going to have to solve this border crisis. We're going to actually have to put people back to work. We're going to have to fix our education system so that it's prepared for the for the future workforce. And if it, all these things have to happen, um, or you'll see the collapse of the country. Yeah. Nobody wants and nobody wants that. Right. Well, so we, at some we have point, to, we gotta solve it. We have to I, I won't I don't like to go to the collapse of the country so fast, right? I think that's a <laughs> that's a really fast timeline. When you're talking about a collapse of an of an empire like ours, it's gonna take hundred hundred years probably. But what what happens is if we don't solve these problems, we leave them for our children. And I'm sorry, but that's not the type of father I am. And I don't think it's the type of father you are. I know it's not the type of father John is. And that's the way that we need to be thinking about these problems is like, it's our responsibility to govern ourselves when we're in the prime of our lives. So our children can have the same opportunities we had. Um, and uh, yeah, I got nothing else. No, I mean, but, but that's true. And so we, we got to solve problems, which means we got to have people who want to solve them. People who have a vested stake in the future of this country. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but the 70 and 80 year olds that are still governing this people, this country at the in that nursing home of a U.S. Senate uh, right now, they're not going to come out and get a job. They're not going to come out here and, and start a small business. They're not going to come out and 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 do something new. The chances are most of those people are going to die in that office because they uh, they just accumulated so much power and wealth that they're they'll, they'll be there just like. You know, Senator Feinstein, just like any of these other guys, Senator McCain, I'll use both sides of the aisle on that one. They're just going to stay in there until they can't do it any physically anymore. Uh, we, we, that's not how we govern. We're, we're not going to be able to govern like that. Um, I'm, I'm 42. I'm, I've served 22 years serving this nation. I, I got experience at the federal level. I've seen some of these guys operate. They're not they're not spectacular. They're not any smarter than the rest of us. And that's part of the problem is they think they're smarter than the average person. They're not. Uh, they might have gone to to better schools. They might have come from from well-to-do families, uh, but but they don't they don't know any 
any too much more than you and I, then they have a staff of people to, to prep them in order to, uh, to get them in front of somebody to speak on an issue. So uh, they, they, there's not some overwhelming talent pool that's inhabiting Washington, D.C., um, the, the faster that we know that, that I think the better off that we're going to be. And, and the, the, the space opens up for someone like me, someone who's younger, someone who has the energy and the ideas that wants to do good, uh, that, that is coming from a place of, of honesty and, and, and real service. You, you know, so that's my pitch. I mean, you know, we where, might not agree on any of the issues, but at the end of the day, when I, when I leave a conversation with somebody, if I leave a stage in a group of people, you're going to say, well, it, you know, I didn't agree with anything they said, but he is younger. He does have energy. He sounds motivated. I believe his story. Look where he's come from. He's doing his thing. Um, maybe I'll give him a shot. If I can leave with, with at least that impression, I think we're doing good um, because the next time you see me. Um, I'll be equally as committed, equally as energized, and and maybe I, I I touch on an issue that you care about. So, you said like you know the people there that they're not like the the best and the brightest. You know where the really best and the brightest are is Ted Kennedy said ninety five percent of the nitty gritty work in Congress is done by the staffers, and I found that we have some very intelligent staffers working for our country, and they may be you know underpaid and overworked but they're there and I, I i i think i don't know for certain but from things i've accumulated i think they think their bosses aren't as smart as their bosses think too and um you know that's our fault as citizens because we keep electing the wrong people and you know i go to it's the system you know it's the system of elections that you know the fundraising the financing that encourage us you know that encourages us or manipulates us into voting for the wrong candidate, depending on your perspective of that. Um, but, you know, they are, you know, any same thing with the doomsday thing, right? Like it, the people, regular citizens out there are looking at the world and they might be scared. It, it's, it is not great, but it's not the end of the world. It, the empire isn't collapsing in the next 10 years. And there are plenty of really intelligent people running our country. We just may not know about them. Um, and I think that's just an important perspective to hold on to. No, I have the same, I'm honest, just back personally, I have the same perspective. And I, every day I pray for our, our elected officials, our unelected officials, and our future elected officials. And the unelected officials are uh, just as important sometimes because they, like you said, they they do a whole lot. And, uh, you know, I, I think we don't think about it enough. And I think maybe they like to be uh, outside of the uh, the range of fire. Um, but I think it's important to recognize, like, you know, there are people underneath sort of our elected officials, and we have to kind of, you know, they they do the legwork, but the elected official at the end of the day is the person with the vote, is the person that directs them. And, uh, you know, we can't abdicate all responsibility from that elected official. So as Eddie said, like, if you're 92 or something, and uh, you're you're in office, like, you know, maybe it's time to retire. Yeah, maybe it's time to retire, because you know what you're doing? You're putting more work on your staff, right? When you're not able to carry your workload as an elected official, your your staff is having to carry that workload for you. Is that fair? Like, is that fair to your constituents? Is it fair to your staff? Like, where are you as a person on like empathy and compassion, you know, and understanding your impact on the world? Yeah, there's not too many uh there's not too many commercials or movies about a you know, a 75-year-old, em empathetic and compassionate old man. 
right? It's always, <laughs> it's always grumpy old men uh, that are shaking their fists out the window and yelling at kids, right? Uh, they, well, and because because it's true, right? Yeah. And, and that's that, that's why they make movies about it. And to your point, um, yeah, we we need we need a new generation of leaders with with ideas of twenty twenty four, not nineteen ninety four. I say that because my opponent's been around since nineteen ninety four. Um, and it just it, it, and I have it. And so this is going to be the telltale uh, sign whether we're going to win or we're going to lose. And I, I tell people on the campaign trail, I say when when we're standing on stage next to each other, even the Democrats are going to understand that one of these guys represents the past and one of these guys represents the future. One of these guys represents the what costs all of these things that we've talked about this evening and that they see on TV. And one of the and one of these guys wants to solve them. One of these guys represents Virginia 1994, and one of these guys represents what Virginia looks and sounds like in 2024. We make that contrast. We're going to win this thing. Uh, it, it's just about it's just about getting the message out there, being as, as as public as we can. I don't say anything that I don't mean. I don't mean anything I don't say. I try not to be hyperbolic. I try to be careful with my words. I try to build a coalition and and around centered around issues that the majority of people care about. There's always going to be culture things that we don't agree on, uh, and, and those people are hardened in their ways. Uh, but the vast majority, I think 80 percent in the middle uh, of whatever issue, because the, the, where you are on that spectrum determines uh, is determined by the issue we're talking about, um, we, we want some kind of common sense about it. it, it we should – be able to stop the people that we don't want that are coming in and we should be able to allow the people that we do want to come in everybody understand we should have a military that is fit to fight not uh, as a as an experiment not as a as a, anything political we should have a justice system that is equally and fair and works across the board whether you're a democrat or republican these are just simple basic stuff that that most people want um and, and they're not. We're not getting it from our political leadership. We're not getting it from this DC class uh, because there's a, a financial incentive from themselves and everybody around them. All the lawyers, all the lobbyists, all the special interests, all the consultants, all the fundraisers. It, it's it's one big group uh, against the rest of the nation. And and, and we, we got to change it. The only way to change it is to shock the system with this upset that nobody sees coming with a blue collar message that makes the Republicans rethink who they are and who they want to be voting for them and, 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 and put the Democrats on notice. Like we, we might turn, we might turn Virginia into Florida uh, with the Hispanic population. If you're not careful, if you let the wrong, if you let the wrong Republican run for office and at the statewide level here in Virginia, well, they, they, the Republicans just might turn it into Florida underneath you. And well, so that's, that's what that's what I'm going for. I'm convinced that Virginia is red. The only reason Virginia is not red is because we haven't had any like real Republicans running in a lot of circumstances. Like Young Youngkin proved that Virginia is red. Virginia wants to be red. What Virginia is striving for is quality candidates to vote for. And I gotta say, I wasn't planning to do this, Eddie, but I was very impressed with your interview tonight. It I can tell from talking to you a few months ago to talking to you now, you are legitimately out there talking to people because you're saying the same things I'm hearing from those same people that I'm out there talking to. And that is an impressive thing to hear from a politician because I speak to so many of them and what I get is rhetoric and talking points. And what I got from you is stories of actual individuals and ideas of what to do. So having said that, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. If you're listening to this show, go to Eddie Garcia's website and donate to him because 
at the end of the day, at the end of the day, as much as I hate the fundraising aspect of this whole system, if we want to make any type of positive change, we need people that are actually listening to people. And Eddie is listening to people. So let's give him a chance. Throw, you know, if, if, even if it's 50 bucks, whatever. If you've got the ability, donate money. And if you don't, then email him and volunteer or set up an event with 10 or 15 or 20 of your closest friends to meet Eddie. Now, I'm putting you out on the spot on that one, Eddie. You, you'll have to get with them on that. But I think that's a great way to engage the public and get some uh, get some real energy because, like he said, the best way to win a primary is to bring new voters into the fold. And if you're out there and you've been disengaged from the process and you're feeling like it's doomsday and there's nobody out there that's leading for us, the people, well, I'm here to tell you, it sounds like Eddie might be one of those people. And I think you should give him a shot. Well, I'm honored, Jeff. So thank you. Thank you. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, and it means a lot to me. But that, that what you hit on is exactly the, what I try to hit on, is that we... Uh, that, that I'm working for the for, for people that don't have a voice, people that have been forgotten by DC, the the, the, the disaffected, the dispossessed, the disenfranchised, uh, the people that are sick and tired of being ostracized and marginalized and criticized by all the people in DC being laughed at. Um, we, we've got to change it. And the only way to change it is to be involved and to to exactly what you said. I mean, I, I ask for I ask for a dollar a day. I mean, that, that's that's where I'm at. If you can donate a dollar a day to, to the campaign, uh, that that's going to get us where we need to. Because if we if you want a government that is for the people and it's got to be funded by the people and you got to have a campaign that that's focused on the people. And, and that's that that is the only way I know how to do it. There are people who are I'm sure that are much smarter than I am that are much have a, a, a better educational background uh, that have come from well-to-do families that can make got you know inroads in politics and hobnob with the with the who's who in Washington and the National Republicans or whoever uh, but they're not going to outwork me. And so unless they're ready to, to, to get off of their out of their chairs and get in their cars and drive all over this Commonwealth to meet anybody and everybody, then they're, they're not going to work harder than me. And so and, and that's that's my strength. I got a lot of weaknesses I won't talk about. But one of my strengths is the ability to work. Um, I'm, I'm a Mexican-American. I mean, if, if there's one thing that we're known for is that uh, is our work ethic. And so uh, I'm, I'm at it 24-7, 365, because if you're going to beat somebody like Tim Kaine or, or if anybody, I would tell anybody out there, if somebody says they're going to run for federal uh, federal office against Tim Kaine, the first question you should ask them, the first question, I say this everywhere I go, what do you do for a living? And if they give you an answer that's not running for office, they're not serious. They're not serious about running. He's a 24-7 candidate because he has that luxury. He's been in office for all these years. He raises money 24-7. He campaigns 24-7. Uh, he gets to be called the senator and, and, and go do a couple votes and get right back at him. So if we're going to be serious about beating him, we're going to have to be committed. And so I, I've retired from the military. I'm 100% focused. It's all I do, 365, uh, until we win. That's just it. I don't know any other way. I don't, I don't have any other way. Uh, this is it. And so if, if people are interested in doing something special, um, come join the team, do donate a dollar a day, volunteer your time, your talent, your treasure, uh, host a meet and greet, sign up to, to get ballot signature petitions that start January 1st. We got 
about 50 volunteers across 11 congressional districts. Uh, again, I'm not paying them because I don't have, I don't come from money. I don't have the money to pay them. Th these are people that are volunteering their time to, to get out there and get the signatures we're going to need to get on the ballot, uh, which is 10,000 signatures, which is a lot, which means we're going to probably get about 13,000 just to be safe. But we're going to do it and we're going to do it. We're going to do it first and we're going to and we're going to be on the ballot first. Uh, and that's how we're going to win. We're going to prove to the pol the political know-it-alls that th this isn't smoke and mirrors. This isn't just rhetoric. This is hard work and, and, and real political activism, but in a good direction, not just uh, not just to cause problems, but to actually solve problems. And so I thank you. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you guys for the platform. And, and thank you for the for the shout out, Jeff. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for running. I mean, it's uh, as Jeff and I always say, it's a lot to do that. We appreciate that. And 10,000 signatures sounds like a lot, but I remember it, it goes quickly once you get people working. And so it's, it sounds like you've got a team in place to get that all done. That's great. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, we do. We, we do. We are um, hitting the ground. Like I said, January 1st, uh, we're, we're going to be, I got, I'm still in third gear. I, I got a couple more to still to go. Uh, we're, we're on a sprint. We'll be voting for the Republican primary thir the 3rd of May. So if you think it's the, the primary so far off, uh, the primary day is less than six months away. It's June 18th. Uh, we start early voting May 3rd. I'm pushing people for early voting, especially those those uh, 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 unreliable voters, people who don't vote all the time and definitely don't vote in primaries. We're trying to get them signed up for the mail-in ballot, get it to the House, get a Republican uh, ballot straight to your mail, check Eddie Garcia at the top of the U.S. Senate race, it's paid postage, put it on back, and uh, and we're following up. We're, we're trying to do what we need to do in order to get the votes we're going to need to win. I mean, it's that simple. We, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a country where we, we're blessed with the opportunity to vote. We live in the Commonwealth where we get the chance to vote every single year, multiple times a year. Uh, and so you could be you could complain about it or you could take advantage of it. Uh, I'm trying to take advantage of it. I'm trying to get people excited about it. Uh, that's how we're going to win. We got to build some enthusiasm. Nobody's going to be able to make it, uh, make an argument that the other guy is so bad that I got to go vote for this Republican. The only way they're going to show up and vote for this Republican is because they're inspired by him because he gets what they're, what they're trying to get. And if we can't do that, then we can't win. I don't care who you are. Um, and so we're, 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 we're doing it. Eddie, I absolutely love it. You cannot, you cannot win elections by demonizing your opponent. You have to give the voters something to vote for. Otherwise, they'll just stay at home. The Republican Party has proved it time and time again. It's time for them to wake up and support candidates like you that can give people something to be inspired about. Eddie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Jeff, that was a great interview. Thank you so much to Eddie Garcia for coming on the show again. Uh, I learned a lot and, you know, I got to say, when you mentioned Blacksburg and, and politics, it just brings me back to those college Republican days where I met a lot of great friends. Uh, we had a lot of fun and uh, some heartbreak with the uh, 2008 election, but the 2009 was fun getting McDonald in there. Wow. What did you think of it? I I mean, I was impressed. Like I said on the show, I mean, I, uh, I've been in politics for two years and I've been looking for somebody running for office who actually like takes the time to speak with the voters instead of just the donors. Um, we've all heard my stories about politicians who may or may not be running against Eddie at the moment, who wouldn't take the time to listen to the voters, but did take the time to listen to the donors and what they stand for. Um, so it's great to see that Virginia has a candidate who's actually listening. Thank, yes. And thank you so much, Eddie, for coming on the show. As always, you can follow us on Substack. 
at politicsandparenting.substack.com or on YouTube. So be sure to like and subscribe. And it's great to see those numbers go up. Uh, Jeff, you're on Twitter, jmayhew28. And uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet a whole lot. So uh, there's not a lot of going on there. But, you know, if you want to follow, I appreciate it. And uh, again, I'm just grateful for everyone to listen. And uh, with that, have a good night, everyone. Peace and love.